Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hello, everyone. This is Rosie Tran, and welcome to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weibo.tv special report sponsored by our friends at DuckDuckGo. You may have heard my voice at the end of every episode on Weibo.tv. I'm the one asking you to leave a review. Which, by the way, I hope you've done, right? You've left us a review? Okay, great. Unless you're lying. <clears throat> well, I'm a lot more than a voice. I'm also Weibo.tv's intrepid reporter, and over the course of this miniseries, I'm going to share with you short, actionable tips you can use to protect your privacy. These tips were sourced by our fearless leader, he really hates when we call him that, BJ Mendelson. BJ, for those of you who may not know, is the author of the book Privacy and How We Get It Back, a book that was published in the before times. This means before COVID. BJ is currently writing a sequel called How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So everything we're going to hear in this miniseries is the most up-to-date information he's researched, bringing us into 2023 and beyond. Throughout the series, you're also going to hear from some special guests and experts in the information security field. You hear that sound? That means it's time for today's privacy tip. There's no such thing as the cloud. The cloud is actually a whole lot of water-wasting energy hogs called data centers. The kind you find in some pretty hilarious places, like the one that's inside of a 19th century chapel in Barcelona, or the one inside of an old chicken coop. Or our favorite, the data center located inside a 65-foot silo in Quebec. You know that data center is guarded by a bunch of angry French Canadians who haven't smelled one since the Nordiques left town. But our point here is the cloud isn't really a cloud. And every time you save something to it, your data is going into something that generates as much greenhouse gas as the entire airline industry. So this week, we're going to talk about where you should back up your stuff without killing the planet in the process. But just to be clear, we're not saying you can't use the cloud if you're already doing so. If you are, make sure you're following the steps we've laid out in previous episodes of this miniseries. What should you use instead of the cloud? We recommend a free open source program called Veracrypt, along with an external hard drive of your choice. And if you plan to bring your encrypted files with you on the go, you can try the Toshiba Canvio Flex Drive. Or if you're like BJ and you don't plan on leaving the house until the pandemic is over, you can try the Seagate Backup Plus Hub. Just an FYI on that Seagate drive, it needs to be plugged into its own power source and should not be taken along on your next joyride, no matter how awesome that joyride may be. The combination of the two gives you more security, privacy, and flexibility than iCloud, G Drive, or any other cloud storage service. Veracrypt is simple to use. In fact, just as we finish this episode, Wired Magazine put out an article explaining how to use it. We'll link to that article in the show notes below. Now, you might be wondering, if you store your stuff on an encrypted external hard drive, how are you supposed to share your stuff with your friends and family? The answer is the service called Tresorit, which you can access at send.tresorit.com. What we like about this service is that Tresorit automatically deletes the link you send after seven days. And just like ProtonMail, employees of Tresorit can't see what you're sending either. Everything is fully encrypted, so only the person receiving your files know what it is. 
Speaking of ProtonMail, we do have one instance where you could use cloud storage safely. If you're going to need access to a file often, you can always encrypt it using Veracrypt and upload it to Proton Drive. This is especially useful if you're traveling internationally. Upload the encrypted Veracrypt container to Proton Drive before you leave home and then downloading it after you've arrived at your destination can help you get around security measures at the border. Just make sure to delete that encrypted file off your computer before you leave to go back home. We have one more thing to cover this week. It's based on a lot of listener feedback concerning wireless routers. We'd like to remind you to update the software on your router once a month and make sure you're using a strong password. One you're hopefully keeping in your privacy notebook? You should also watch out on how you name your home network. It could be something fun and clever, like The Nothing, Atreyu, or Murphy Brown. You never want to call your home network anything that makes it or you readily identifiable. The router we recommend purchasing is the TP-Link AX3000. It's fast, secure, and has a great range that should cover most of your home. But that's not why we recommend it. We recommend this router because of the Tether app that you can use to control and manage it. For most people, we found this app is the simplest and easiest way to get them to do the following. Pay attention to what devices are using their network and scan for malware. Update the router's firmware at the end of every month. And even set up connection alerts for when a new device tries to join your network. Just make sure before you purchase this router to look online and ask your internet service provider if the router is compatible with their devices. It should be in most cases, but you should check to be sure. Sort of like picking your partner, you want to do your homework first. Otherwise, you'll wind up chained up in a basement and eating fish heads. And not because you want to. Are you still listening? We hope so, because we have a special surprise. Back in 2017, BJ's first book on privacy came out. It was called Privacy and How We Get It Back. Broadway actor Roger Wayne did the narration for the audio edition of the book. Our editor, Andrew, was nice enough to go through the audiobook and pull out the sections that are still very much worth sharing with you today. So if you stick around and listen to this miniseries, after every privacy tip, you'll hear another excerpt from BJ's book, Privacy and How We Get It Back. Take it away, Roger! 11. Then again, so what? If you want to be successful in life, there's no real trick to it. You just have to be able to see things from other people's perspectives. So, I'm going to touch on some possible counterpoints to the information in this book as we wrap up our time together. In a lot of ways, the debate involving privacy and the use and misuse of your data mirrors the debate involving climate change. Most people would agree, provided you say climate change and not global warming, that climate change is a major issue that needs to be addressed. But then they assume that A, there is nothing they can do about it, or B, climate change won't affect them in their lifetime. So they go about their business and just don't think about it. You can see that phenomenon played out in a short video Bill Nye did with National Geographic. It's the one where he's showing how Miami will be underwater thanks to rising sea levels due to climate change. And then the video cuts to Bill Nye talking to a Miami resident who thinks he'll be unaffected by climate change because he lives in Miami. Dope! Put another way, the response to the abuse and use of someone's private data can best be summed up in two simple words. So what? But there are a lot of differing reasons why people use those words. I'm going to give you three of the most important and common ones to think about. 1. So what? 
If Facebook tracks my location for nebulous reasons when I'm not even logged into their app, it makes no difference in my life. 2. So what? There's nothing I can do to stop tech companies from being creepy with my data. For every case of shadiness we know about, there's probably a ton more we don't hear about because the company isn't big enough to be called out for doing it. Besides, these companies are entertaining me. It's not like they're forcing me to use them. I want to use their offerings. 3. So what? If the government knows everything there is to know about me, why should it be any different for a company, especially when they use that data to make my life better? We're at the point where I can have donuts delivered to my house by drone before I know I even want them. What a time to be alive! If we're being honest, there's no great response to these points. That's the biggest failure of most books on privacy. They just go on and on and on with the author beating you to death with their politics as an answer to these questions. I honestly just don't have a good answer beyond what I've said in the previous chapters. It's exceptionally hard to get people to think about the future and the consequences of their actions when those consequences may not be seen for a year or more, if ever. I think you should be compensated for the sale of your data, and these companies should be responsible for when they mess up and your data gets leaked. People should be fined and maybe even go to jail. I also think these companies need to take the initiative to better inform you of how they use your data and give you more control over that. And if they don't, then a regulatory body or a state government needs to get involved to make them do so. Now, after the Equifax breach, all bets are off and everyone's data is out there. So, if we don't take this seriously now, when will we? Maybe never. Then what? So you have to ask yourself what kind of world you want to live in. Remember that Donald Trump got elected president, not because of Russian interference in the election, but because of voter apathy. As the Washington Post reported, close to 100 million people didn't come out to vote. That's more than the number of people who voted for each of the respective candidates. The people who did not vote, for whatever reason, decided through their inaction that Trump was a completely acceptable candidate. It might sound extreme to say this, but we're dealing with a similar situation when it comes to your data and the ramifications of its collection by the companies I talked about in this book. Left to their own devices, the tech companies and members of the advertising industry will make themselves rich. Jobs will be wiped out through the utilization of that data and automation. Billions of dollars in taxes that we badly need will go unpaid and algorithms will be used to discriminate against you in ways you won't even realize are happening until it's too late. I'm a Facebook hipster. I then deleted my Facebook account and then re-upped it in 2005 and have not been able to get off the stupid thing since. So so why can't you get off? So what, <laughs> what are your... <laughs> you guys... <laughs> The award-winning Smashing Security Podcast, hosted by Graham Cluley and Carol Terrio each week, it takes an irreverent look at cybersecurity and online privacy, helping you find out what's happening with your data. Find it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps, or at smashingsecurity.com. It's not all filth.
Either you think the collection and abuse of your private data is a problem, or you don't. If you don't, there isn't any reason to care about it because it seemingly doesn't affect your day-to-day -day life. I get it. We all have shit to do. I can certainly make an emotional appeal to you. That your right to privacy, while not guaranteed in the Constitution explicitly, is heavily implied within its first ten amendments and has been further defended by the Supreme Court. I can also say to you that your credit score, just as one example, could be determined in part by your Twitter profile. But the simple truth is not that many people use Twitter, and fewer and fewer people are signing up to use it these days. And as mentioned, if the government already has all this data on you, then what's the big deal if these companies have it too and turn a profit on it? They were smart enough to seize the opportunity, which in itself is a very American thing to do, and why should we be mad for them having taken the opportunity? Some of you might be thinking, good for them. What I've just laid out for you throughout this book is why it's so difficult for anything to get done about this issue. Why haven't our laws been strengthened to prevent the abuse of our private data? Because a lot of this argument has yet to be framed in such a way as to cause a strong emotional reaction to it. Think boring words, which is what we have currently, versus that wildly successful but really depressing Sarah McLaughlin commercial that comes on for the ASPCA. One provokes an action, and the other doesn't. It's up to you reading this book to decide which side of the fence you want to be on. I know that this stuff matters, even if I don't regularly see it. So I want to do something about it now, while there's still time to do so. Last Words I wish I had something profound here to say about privacy. But all I have is that there's no such thing as privacy anymore. Not since 1917. So, we're at that stage where we need to decide what to do, and at the moment, we're letting greedy tech companies and advertising companies move the discussion forward. I don't profess to speak for the advertising industry. I've been around it long enough to echo what many of us like to say in the dark corners of the office when the clients aren't around. If the client thinks Facebook advertising is wonderful, then the agency is going to agree with the client and spend millions of dollars on Facebook advertising. Is that okay? Absolutely not. But it's incredibly challenging to change someone's mind once they've dug into their position. And it's especially challenging to run around and tell people that Facebook and Google's advertisements are often expensive forms of bullshit that aren't worth the time and attention we give them. As living advertising legend Bob Hoffman told me, in marketing today, it is better to be wrong within the normal range than right outside the normal range. Being critical of the value of advertising on Facebook and Google is outside the normal range. So, if you read through this book and you're like, why does the advertising industry put so much money into the products of creepy companies and questionable data? It's not because they're evil. It's because someone told them it was a good idea, and that someone was probably writing their checks. That's the true evil of America. Our economy sucks, and we'll do whatever it takes to get paid, up to and including working for dumb companies and telling them what a great idea tracking their customers to the bathroom in their own home is. This is good news in some sense, because it means no one is actually looking to screw you when it comes to the collection of your personal data and the invasion of your privacy except for the criminals. 
But this is also bad news in that, when push comes to shove, the economic incentives are not at all in your favor to make a change. The ad industry and tech companies are going to lobby real hard to make sure a privacy bill of rights on the federal level never comes into existence. They successfully stopped the Obama administration at virtually every turn on that front. And the Obama administration, to their own detriment, also had more than a few opportunities to crack down on Google and Facebook through the FTC and the Department of Justice, and opted not to do so. So, they're not exactly blameless here either. That's not a great way to end a book, though. And so, I have some good news to share with you. Apple, for all its faults, made a change to the Safari browser in iOS 11. This change will severely limit the amount of data an advertiser can extract from you after 30 days using first-party cookies. The advertising industry, naturally, flipped out. Google's Chrome browser will also be cracking down on advertising online, but not the tracking aspects of it. Just the shitty aspects, like when you go to a site to read a dumb listicle and an auto-playing ad kicks on, followed by an advertisement that takes over the entire home screen promoting something like lottery tickets. The tools to protect yourself and your data are also getting better. Virtual private networks, VPNs, are less and less expensive and tedious to install on your personal computers and mobile devices. You can use the Signal app, endorsed by Edward Snowden no less, to send secure messages to other Signal users, and breathe easily knowing that the people behind Signal don't store any of the data being sent over the app. So, it's not like the latest version of iOS, or the current versions of Android where the keyboard and operating system are keeping track of what you're sending, and then sharing it with the NSA and pretty much everyone else they feel like, in order to make suggestions on what you should type next. Signal is the complete opposite of that, and it's convenient and easy to use. For those of you using Android on your phone or a laptop in general, you can also use the Tor browser and related software, which can be found online at torproject.org to more securely browse and utilize the internet on your devices. And of course, you can always do little things like clear out your cookies and history after each browsing session too. I have Firefox set up to do that every time I close it out so I don't have to keep reminding myself to make that happen. So, good news. There are little things you can do to protect yourself right now. Some states are also showing initiative to protect you in light of the federal government not being able to accomplish much of anything. Seriously, it's hard for me to describe anything the federal government has gotten done in the time that I've been of voting age, aside from fighting and obstructing each other. And that's true for Democrats as well as Republicans. But some states, like Washington, do have a section on privacy written into their state constitution. I know no one likes a hodgepodge of rules and regulations, but it's not the worst thing to ask your state representatives to consider passing a privacy bill of rights to help protect your data and your privacy in general. Especially now, as we're approaching so many internet-connected devices out there that you would never think are collecting data about you, but totally are, like the Roomba. Yes, the fucking Roomba. In the summer of 2017, a brief firestorm ignited after the CEO of the company iRobot, Colin Angle, mentioned his plans for the Roomba to map your home and potentially provide that data to data brokers or companies like Amazon and Google. After the firestorm, the company mentioned that customers would be given the choice to opt in to have their homes mapped. 
Sound familiar, though? Company does something creepy. People freak out about it. Company backs off. And then when they get a chance later, they go right back to doing the creepy thing. Making people opt in through the terms of service is especially shitty, and it's the go-to tactic these days. But if you live in a state like New York and the Attorney General's office has the capability to take action against iRobot because the state has some quality privacy laws on the books, you'd better believe they'll think twice about being creepy again. And if you don't live in a state that has a privacy bill of rights, having the New York Attorney General's office tackle the issue may cause your own state's AG to join the fray. We've seen that before with things like the Trump administration's travel ban, where AGs across the country teamed up to attack it. It's up to us to make that happen. Unlike on the federal level, we can get things done on the state level. I've seen it. I formed a political action committee and a not-for-profit to support a citizens group where my parents live. It took years, but they won their battle by organizing and making their voices heard. 10,000 people in the area also would have backed me for Congress. So, grassroots organizing may sound lame and ineffective, but it works. On the federal level, that approach doesn't really work, but in state elections and, in some instances, congressional races, every vote and voice does indeed matter. And if you're not fired up to vote after the last presidential election, I don't know what to tell you. Just remember that 100 million number the next time Trump says or does something insane. Change is possible. The challenge is getting everyone up off the couch and outside to interact with their fellow humans and making their state a better place for everyone. By reading this book, you're already halfway there. Now the other half is the fun part of organizing your friends and neighbors and calling on your state politicians to take action. I've said this before in interviews on this subject, but even if the state fails in its quest to get the tech companies and data brokers to change, the very threat of change may be enough to get the data industries to regulate themselves, in much the same way as the video game industry did in the 90s, and Microsoft did after the Department of Justice went after them in the early aughts. By the way, Something I didn't spend much time on in this book is the state government and federal government themselves collecting far more data than they need to in order to process services for you online, too. Although there are laws like FERPA and HIPAA on the books that protect your privacy in very specific instances, like if you're a college student or a patient accessing medical care, there's no blanket privacy protection law out there to protect you. There's something a privacy bill of rights can do if one was to be created where you live. Many people worry about identity theft, and one way to reduce but not eliminate the possibility of that is by restricting how much information is collected about you in the first place. I talked a lot about private companies and businesses doing that to you, but the same is also true for your government. Limiting the amount of oversharing that goes on doesn't hurt anyone and protects you in the process so it's really hard to be against that unless someone wants to be a dick about it. If you're wondering whether or not I have a specific Bill of Rights in mind or things I'd like to see in it, the answer is no, I don't. Not beyond what's suggested here in this book. But I can tell you two things I want that I hope I can sell you on, since I've been hitting on them throughout our time together. The first is that I personally don't care if some company I've never heard of has over 10,000 data points about me ranging from my porn fetish to the fact that I drive an old Subaru Forester. 
but I sure as shit would like to make some profit from that exchange. Wouldn't you? I have no problem selling my data, but it's my data to sell. My data, my choice. Why don't I have any option at all here to cash in on this? If I go to Facebook or to some website that belongs to a giant ad network like Oath, then Oath gets to collect my data and use it to tell brands and agencies that they have the secret sauce needed to advertise to me. Oath makes a ton of cash, and I get nothing. There's something about that which just eats away at my soul. If it was up to me, advertisers should pay me for my data in exchange for the right to advertise to me. As for Facebook, which would be harmed in that arrangement since the advertisers no longer need them, I would happily pay for an advertisement-free Facebook experience, as long as the data they collected at that point was only to provide me with a better service and they did nothing more with it. Same with Twitter. They blew more than a few chances to have people pay for an upgraded experience, but they just can't seem to get their act together. Instead, we don't get these options. We get bad user experiences across the internet and web. As one Reddit user on the subreddit forward slash r forward slash advertising described our collective user experience in answering the question of why advertisers are hated, Check out my blog for the six things you didn't know about advertisers. The fourth one will really get your jimmies rustled. Want more from me in your inbox? Like and subscribe. Don't forget to click the bell. Without your support, we will go out of business. Please share your email address to receive special offers right to your inbox each day. Oh, we noticed you're using an ad blocker. Disable it to view all our great content. Hey, we're going to use your CPU cycles to mine bitcoins since you block all our ads. Hey, we see you're trying to leave. Don't forget to sign up for our hourly updates on more BS you don't care about. Please, please be our friend. Our website is dying. Oh, we see you're on mobile. Here's an ad banner. A modal with a newsletter sign-up form. A banner to acknowledge we use cookies, because who doesn't? And wait for it. One more second. There it is. An auto-playing review video we just made about popsicle sticks. Hey, we noticed you just purchased a washing machine. Looks like you're interested in washing machines. Here's a banner ad about washing machines in case you have buyer's remorse and return the one you just purchased or something. Hey, we geo-tracked you as visiting your grandma during Thanksgiving. This must mean you're interested in our local unicycle shop. Click here for our current promotions and to sign up for our weekly newsletter packed full of tips and tricks. Did you know? We have a YouTube channel featuring a long intro with dance music made in PowerPoint about our unicycles. Washing machines. What I get, and what we all get, is bullshit. No value. And I think that has to change. If we give something, we should get something. If I pay for an advertisement-free and non-creepy experience, that's what I should get. If you're going to gobble up my data and provide it to third parties for a cool billion dollars... I should get a cut of that. If you're going to wipe out jobs in the name of being efficient, you should be paying the billions of dollars in taxes that you owe so those unemployed people can be trained for new jobs. Right now we're living in a world where only one side benefits. And aren't you just getting a little tired of that sort of arrangement? Put another way, never forget that a lot of these companies are just repositories for your stuff. Without your stuff, there would be no business or profit for them to speak of. Facebook is nothing without you. Given the current state of the global economy, the rising tide of automation, 
and all these other nightmare scenarios that seem to be increasingly playing out on a daily basis, the least I think we can do is give us all some cold hard cash in exchange for our data. You know how everyone seems to be talking about a universal basic income, but they don't know where the money will come from to fund it? Well, shit. Here's your solution. Let the ad and tech companies pay people an annual license fee in exchange for their data. There are a lot of ways for us to slice this pizza and change the way things are. We just have to stop talking about it and start doing it. The second and final thing I want to sell you on is something we touched on earlier in the book. This terms of service thing. I'm no lawyer, but many lawyers would describe a terms of service agreement as a contract by adhesion. Essentially, it's an agreement between two parties where one party has no real choice in the matter. You either agree or you don't get to use and enjoy the thing with that terms of service contract. That's essentially the situation we have with the terms of service on all your devices and platforms, at least outside of the European Union. And that's not cool. You know what that gets called in the education field these days? Bullying. What we should fight for, if we're going to fight for anything, is making the collection and use of our data more explicit and clear. Who is getting your data? What are they going to do with it? How long will they have access to your data? These three questions should not take nearly 6,000 words in legalese to answer. Watch. I'll prove it to you. Everyone reading this book will get a free PDF copy of my last book, Social Media is Bullshit, if they text me at 646-331-8341 with the word sheetrock. I'm totally serious. Text me with that word, and I will text you back with the PDF. It won't be a bot or any kind of automated response. It'll be me. Now, who is getting your data, your phone number, in this case? I am. What am I going to do with it? Nothing. Because I'm kind of lazy and have no patience at all to work on something like a newsletter. Although email newsletters are incredibly valuable, if often abused, as a marketing channel. I just don't have the attention span to bother you with shit on a regular basis. Who is the data going to be shared with? No one. I'll send you a text, hit the delete button, and never think about it again. See? Nice, simple, and clear. Answering the questions of who gets your data, what they're going to use it for, and how long they'll have it. And I even rambled in there. So, regardless of what form this more explicit opt-in looks like, you and I both know that there are far better ways to exchange information with each other than the busted terms of service model that has dominated the web virtually since its beginnings. You should not be expected to have a college degree to understand what some company is doing with all the information it's collecting on you. Aside from compensating you, the least they can do is give you more control over what's being collected and how, in clear and specific terms. And if they don't want to do it, it's time for the state government or an independent organization to step in and fight the good fight on your behalf. All right, this book wasn't supposed to be more than 30,000 words, and I'm well over my limit. If you like this book, send me an email at bj at bjmendelson.com and let me know. Or text me at 646-331-8341. Maybe we'll do a revised and expanded edition if you really like it. 
maybe we'll never speak of it again. As long as you learn something and now better understand what's going on with your data and privacy as it relates to the Internet, then I'd like to think I've accomplished the job I was asked to do. Let's just hope I don't almost die again between books, and I'll see you with the next one. Parting Thought Privacy May Actually Be an Anomaly Vint Cerf Most things people hate about the internet comes from a lack of privacy, like those creepy ads that make you think your phone is listening to you. DuckDuckGo is an all-in-one privacy app that can help you with that. It's your internet browser with private search, tracking blocker, encryption, and even built-in email protection, all for free. Just go to DuckDuckGo.com to learn more. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Thank you for listening to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv special report. I'm your host, Rosie Tran. Today's episode was written by BJ Mendelson, produced by Andrew Van Voris, and sponsored by DuckDuckGo. Due to the overwhelming demand for privacy audits, we want to make a quick announcement before we go. Doing one-on-one privacy audits is super time-consuming. This means BJ has less time to write these episodes and the new book, How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So... Along with his co-author, Amanda King, BJ is currently putting together an online course called Stupid Sexy Privacy, which you'll be able to purchase here at stupidsexyprivacy.com. The course will walk you through every privacy tactic discussed in today's episode in greater detail. If you'd like to know when the course becomes available, you can email BJ at bjmendelson at duck.com. The email address again is bjmendelson at duck.com. And we'll see you next time, right? <laughs>